Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as a few months back I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Ben Costa and James Parks, the creators and game designers of Land of Eam, a tabletop RPG based on their fantasy graphic novel series, Rickety Stitch and the Gelatinous Goo. Many of you will know that I recently ran a one-shot of Land of Eam on this very podcast. That's episodes 77 and 78 if you want to check it out. I have to say it was an incredibly fun RPG to run. I really enjoyed how easy it was to learn and how it allowed my players to be as creative as possible with their decisions. The world itself is incredibly rich and open, and it feels very different to other fantasy RPGs I've been playing recently. I can also highly recommend the Rickety Stitch graphic novel series too, with the third instalment just published last month. Finally, the Kickstarter for the full Land of Eam rulebook will be coming out towards the end of the year, but for now, you can download and try out the beta quick start rules on DriveThruRPG as a pay-what-you-want product. I'll put links to Ben and James's work and recommendations on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. You can find out more information about Land of Eam and join the official Discord server on the website. That's www.landofeam.com. All right, well, uh, let's begin. Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Who are you and what do you do? And either one of you can go first. I appreciate it. I didn't, I didn't, I, usually it's just one person in the call. And I'm like, okay, there's two of you now. So either one of you can go first. Yeah, we're so good at trying not to talk over each other, like when we're answering these things, because we're sort of like a two-headed giant when, whenever we're in these things. But um, uh, I am James Parks, and that is my counterpart. I am Ben Costa. There you go. See? Perfect example. Uh, we're the creators of the graphic novel series Rickety Stitch and the Gelatinous Goo. Mm-hmm. We write it together. I'm the artist. And we are also making a role-playing game called Land of Eam, which is based on the comic, the mm. world of the comic. Yeah, I'd say inspired by, because it's like you don't need to be familiar with the series to enjoy the game. It's just they share a world. Mm. They share a world and a tone, for sure. Most people don't know that Ben and I have known each other for over 25 years. And like our our creative collaboration began when we were in the second grade, oh. uh, which is kind of unique and uh, fun stuff. Like we used to not only read comics and play Dungeons and Dragons together for most of our lives, but uh, we also would create comics. And that's how we got into, you know, rickety stitch stuff. We, we would make these crude, um, you know, construction paper Spider-Man comics. Uh, where Spider-Man would like team up with Shaquille O'Neal and save the city of New York and like crazy stuff. And that it just inevitably, we were close buddies and we were roommates in college and we started making comics together officially in college, Mm -hmm. including, you know, rickety stitch stuff, like little shorts. Yeah, that's um, when we came up with the character first. Yeah, yeah. uh, Took like 15 years to get it off the ground and publish. (laughs) But, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know that either. It wasn't just instant. It was uh, no. Rickety Stitch was gestating for a while, and there was a big period where we didn't work on the character or the series, and and it uh, kind of all came into fruition when 2016-ish. 2017 was the first. 2017 came out. Yeah, um, first book came out in 2017, and now we're on book three. Comes out in April. 
Oh, amazing. So role-playing games, and you mentioned sort of Dungeons & Dragons. How long have you been playing that? And presumably you both have GM'd or DM'd for each other or have done it separately. So tell us about your experience about that. Uh, we started in fourth grade. Um, yep. So our friend, Amir, uh, who is now like a hugely successful uh, video game designer, he's always been our dungeon master in that like core group that we have of like, mm -hmm. you know, five other guys and Who we've uh, also known our whole lives <laughs> and we still play D, D with um yeah that's kind of where we started it was second edition D, &D. Mm -hmm. and i didn't start game mastering until college i don't think mm -hmm. james has only done it a few times yeah I've, I've done it the least i've i've definitely not done mm -hmm. a lot of game mastering i think college post-college i mm -hmm. did it maybe half a dozen times so mm -hmm. not a lot yeah, it was sort of like this scary jump from going from a player to a GM. Right. Especially when, like, our one friend had done it for, you know, 15 years or whatever. <laughs> uh, maybe not that long, but 10 years before yeah. we started. So was was he uh, DMing the same campaign? Was it all little different campaigns? Were you playing the same characters or, or like, the sentences stuff? Oh, gosh. Uh, there were several campaigns, but some several of them were campaigns. longer. Yeah, we, we had a big one, like a giant three-year campaign that was mm -hmm. giant for us. I, I know there's people that have been playing for 10 years, and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but we had like a three-year one in high school and a ton of small ones. And then more and more recently, the campaigns are shrinking and shrinking to, so that there's just like hundreds of characters being generated like all the time, which is something we also enjoy to mm -hmm. do. We just love to to riff and create a bunch of characters. Yeah, so... We we played second edition D and D for many years beyond like when third came out we didn't play it we just kept going with that and then a uh, Amir Amir Rao he's super giant games he made his own uh, system basically that we've been playing still for like twenty. I don't know. I keep saying 20 years. <laughs> I, I, to be fair, time is such a thing at the moment. It's like, yeah, right. uh, so I I, I, yeah. anything over five years is many. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like for many more, years. more than you think. So yeah. Many, many years. I think 15 years we've been playing wow. this like system that he's made and he's, you know, it's kind of like how I got the game design bugs. I would sort of help him kind of generate some ideas mm -hmm. and he would go off and actually make it at one point then there was that huge stretch of time where we would start generating uh random tables yeah, together yeah. and that's that really inspired me to just challenge myself creatively to create tons and tons of characters and quest hooks and items and places mm -hmm. and uh that's already something i love to do just when doing regular storytelling like with rickety stitch or something mm -hmm. but um it kind of spiraled out of control when the homebrew stuff mm -hmm. really started to become core to us playing Mm -hmm. And like Ben said, like it's he started generating his own rules, and we started just homebrewing everything practically, practically everything actually. This like all came together to inspire like what Land of Eam is and like mm -hmm. how we approach the game, mm -hmm. game design. We we really want to make a game where that allows you know players to be creative. They can just make stuff up in the world and have it be true or not. Mm -hmm. So that's like a huge thing. Well, let's talk a bit about uh, Land of Eam then. So tell us a bit about Land of Eam, because obviously, as you as you rightly alluded to, that it is based on your comic book, uh, your graphic novel series. Um, what kind of makes it stand out to other sort of fantasy RPGs that are out there just now? Uh, well, to go along with, you know, the idea that players can be creative and make things up, like a lot of uh, real estate, like what a character can do is given to abilities that are 
you know, that allow you to be creative. Um, as well as like the tone, I think is kind of unique. Mm-hmm. It's uh, sort of like we described it as like the Muppets meets Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So you have these colorful, cute characters um, going around, uh, you know, high fantasy adventures and they can run into dark lords. And <laughs> so there's kind of that, you know, juxtaposition there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this like a this is definitely a tone shift that the game shares with Rickety Stitch that folks really enjoy, which is that you've got these Muppets that are going up against Sauron or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's it's a, a a kind of theme that's always that Ben and I have always like really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And what I, and going back to like the homebrew stuff that like really inspired us to create Land of Eam, I think one of our primary goals with Land of Eam was to really focus on the collaborative storytelling of RPGs mm-hmm. because Ben and I have never been the kind of character or characters, well, that too, but they've never been the kind of players who were all about like maximizing or minimizing mm-hmm. and getting into fisticuffs. Like we are not the murder hobo type of, mm-hmm. of gamer and we actually prefer wacky solutions for everything, not getting mm-hmm. into combat. And so Land of Eam really leans into that just like like having a lot of different options for what you can do. And those creative powers like that Ben was talking about make an impact in the world. It's like, now that's true. You've just mm. joined the storytelling elements with not only the whatever quest you're reading or sandbox you're reading, but also what the GM is creating. So it's working together to make the story so that when you're laughing about it, like later, everybody's like really invested into into that stuff. Yeah, our instinct was always to follow the fun as opposed to... Um doing the most optimal thing like mm. rather like make an interesting story and you know have characters be interesting i definitely got that because there's a part in the quick start thing where you talk about the different adventure tones and i had to write down i had to write down what they said there's a hijinks uh nerdu and doom and gloom as to sort of the levels of what kind of adventure it is i think that's so well, smart. I appreciate this. It's very self-congratulatory. It's like, that's really smart, guys. Thanks for that. Uh, but <laughs> it's so true because I think sometimes you have that thing where you're like, I want to play uh, this kind of D&D game and it's going to be adventures and sword fighting and stuff. And that's like your ideal, perhaps, as a DM. But compared to the, the player's reality of like, I'm just going to try this. And it works. So I rolled really well. And I think what's really nice is that obviously nowadays where a lot of people are doing more session zeros and like trying to say, well, this is what the kind of game I want to play, but what is it that you want to play? And giving that sort of trust relationship to this. And that's what I really like about the Land of Eam stuff is that, yeah, the collaboration is there and it makes you think outside the box. Because again, these aren't from from the obviously the, the world of the graphic novels and stuff. These aren't typical adventurers. They're what some people consider monstrous adventures because obviously you have a main character is a skeleton. Their best friend is a gelatinous goo. You know, it's and yeah, exactly. it's, it, it's that sort of um, that twist on it, I think. And that's what I, and I think a lot more players now want those options to try. So that, that yeah, that's what I've, that's what I've seen the adventure terms. I was like, this is nice because you can pitch it to any kind of player who will be like, you know what? I just want to have a bit of fun right now. And I don't need to have the, I can do the serious Dark Lord min-maxing video game type of game if I want to, but also I could also have fun and each individual experience is so different. And uh, yeah, I just thought the adventure tone and how to pitch it to people was really, really cool. Cool, thank you. You kind of made, you kind of reminded me of um, like being, I don't know, in middle school, getting uh one of the source books for AD&D second edition and like seeing that you could be a kobold mm. and like feeling 
like the happiest I've ever felt. <laughs> I get that idea. <laughs> happiest I've ever felt. <laughs> like I wanted nothing more than to be a kobold. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy, you know, yeah, being monstrous characters. Hmm. I never want to be a human in anything for some reason. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me, but. It's interesting now, certainly looking at most fantasy things, but, you know, like in Pathfinder, sorry, and obviously with D&D, &D, you know, the big overlord of everything. But the way they've gone, the majority of people are humans, but here are all the, you know, other species or other races you can be. So many other people just go, right, sod humans, what else can I be? And being able to just, you know, try them out and try something that's so different to what people would expect is the norm and yeah i think just being able to try it out and be that you be the cobalt you want to be or be the goblin or, or be or be the the aracocra or or you know or the goo you know it's, it's i just think it's it's so nice to and refreshing because there's maybe again there's the min maxing things that i am a hero i gotta do this i think quite a lot of us uh in real life we have that imposter syndrome or we have those sort of like flaws and we worry that people see us. And so when you're a different person, so different to your own, whether that's through uh, race or, or, or like uh, traits or something like that, but then you're also forced to be like, well, you, you must save the day. And you're like, yes, but there are limitations <laughs> or something like that. I just, yeah, I just like it. And like you said, it's like that sort of ability to just have a little bit more different storytelling that's so unique to, to you. So, yeah. Yeah, just be the goo you want to be, I think is... Yeah. Be right. the goo. Yeah. You better trademark that and put that on T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I know, obviously, when you're obviously designing and, and creating Rickety Stitch, uh, and then obviously moving that over to uh, into an actual role-playing game, what were your sort of biggest influences when you were designing that? I mean, obviously, like, you, you've talked about playing D&D &D and stuff, but was there any other sort of like places you took it from, I guess? Uh, a big influence is uh, Dungeon World, even though I think I've only played it once. But uh, just the in an apocalypse world in general, uh, the dice system was really intriguing, um, as well as uh, Fantasy Flight uh, Star Wars mm -hmm. game. Um, that kind of influenced the dice system as well. Um, so Land of Eam has a D12 system instead of 2D6 because uh, we wanted more variance and not always, you know, coming up on the seven to nine range. Mm -hmm. I think one influence, which is like similarly to how we tell stories or like why Rickety Stitch ends the way it ends or, or ends up being the way it ends up being is because we like kind of chased our own play style and what we liked when yeah. developing Land mm -hmm. Beam, like mm -hmm. rewarding your flaws because using a flaw in a moment uh, actually adds to the drama or adds to the chaos or adds to the fun and makes it feel like you're part of a, a, a narrative where there's twists and turns as opposed to, you know, just did I succeed or not succeed? It's, you know, did I succeed, but something happened or something didn't happen? Was there a mm -hmm. twist? Was there, how, how did this work out? And um, that kind of, like, even when we play other games or home through, homebrew games, we'll sometimes introduce our own flaw or our own negative to kind of propel the story into a fun place or mm. you know work together to make something unique yeah playing to your flaws i think again it, that takes another step away from the min maxing edgelord type characters i think because uh, you have games like fiasco or anything like that where these things drive the story mm. forward and stuff and have the twist yeah i was going to mention the the d12 system the best dice obviously is the d12 yeah, so <laughs> so, oh, yeah. i mean <laughs> the d12 just yeah. the rolling capacity on it 
mm. is unmatched. It can go it's, for miles. Again, like he says, so rolling the D12, you have the sort of the five different stages of success, as it were. Yeah. Obviously, complete failure to critical success, success. And then what I really liked was obviously the failure with a plus or a success, but with a twist. And mm -hmm. I think it's so nice to see that in a game where a lot of the time when it comes to numbers and stuff like that, you roll and go, I did a 15. And it's like, well, that doesn't really translate well to story because that's that leaves it to the to the gm who's running it whereas this is like the success but there's a there's a twist there's, a, there's something bad that happens that's so nice because like you said in in the quick start stuff it's like if you're struggling as a gm ask the players what it can be and having that back and forth because yeah. i think they're not going to be like well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take this it's like you did succeed and you move the story forward and i think that's the key thing i took away from your quick start rules of saying like you always move the story forward no matter what happens and my goodness that's helped so much because the amount of times you're like i'm just going to keep rolling until you get the yeah. number you want that takes away completely from uh the story that people want to create so yeah i just thought that was such a, a nice thing to do and again going back to what you were saying before james about the tables there are so many tables i had a quick look at the rule book after i played after i ran through the one shot my goodness <laughs> that's amazing i love it and it was cool <laughs> and being able to i think in the game itself you did put a note saying like the gm doesn't need to roll that many dice that's all on the players and stuff but i like the fact when you're doing the prep of it you get to roll so much dice as a result to, to like do the treasure hordes and stuff like that so i quite liked how you like no you still get to roll but before the game you don't need to do that much yeah, yeah. in the game yeah right right <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like that's one thing we can offer as designers in quotes um is random tables we're just good at generating content for random tables for some reason goes back to james mentioned that we did that for homebrew game like as a group uh, in college so in that group we have you know thousands of things on a table and we're just you know taking a page out of that book and yeah just to touch on the dice and the gradations of success and failure it takes a little bit of buying in the whole group to like be on the same page like being open to failure and having that like not just mean that you're dead it's just a, yeah. an interesting story direction mm -hmm. it's the same thing with successes with uh, a twist or a negative mm -hmm. you leap out of the snake pit but uh, one of the snakes last latches onto your shoelaces and you take it out with you or something like that and what we've seen when doing play testing or playing with other groups is that once there is buy-in for this concept everybody has fun coming up with the thing that affects them negatively mm -hmm. and getting the reaction out of the other players who are like oh my gosh now this is going on and and that's i have a blast with it and i know that an another friend of ours who, who plays with us on our live stream every saturday george mm -hmm. he he loves it too and he he like particularly loves it though he's almost like obsessed with uh... <laughs> always trying to find a flaw <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's always doing that the other part of the game i wanted to kind of talk about quick briefly was uh the the conflict phases or before you go into combat this interview will go out after the one shot is out and thing. But what's interesting is that you have the four phases of conflict. So you have the first one, you ask the players who would like to try and talk to the creature first. And anyone who does gets to go first. And then you move on to taking an action that doesn't necessarily involve combat, then running away and then fighting and making fighting the last resort. And I think that's so important because sometimes I always have a big sinking feeling when I read role-playing games and there's always a big section that goes combat and you go, no, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I want to I want to experience. And I, I just feel like, again, maybe it's just the way fantasy games are, a specific fantasy genre or sci-fi or that sort of, there's always a bit about combat, you versus them. 
and not necessarily, you know, it's like, oh, you have to kill them. And yeah. having that as the last resort, and I think you say in the, the rules as well, saying like, these, you know, these are big creatures, you know, you're not suitable for fighting them and you shouldn't be fighting them. I think it's so important so that you're trying to, the players should be thinking of other ways to do it. And now not all creatures can be talked to or, or talked down from it, but it adds that element of like, if you try it and it might succeed, that is just, amazing and being able to talk to like a massive king rat that wants to take over wallies and you're like did it work and you go roll for it and then we all go hmm kind of you still have to do a little bit of fighting but not as much as we thought you know and i just yeah and i just thought that was it's just nice that you had to put it in an order of saying like okay who wants to talk because they get to go first because sometimes i've discovered you know people are fighting and then there's always someone goes wait we don't yeah, need yeah, to fight after two yeah, rounds yeah, of fighting. Yeah, yeah. You're like, no, yeah, it's too yeah, late yeah. now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally, totally. We've all been there. I, or someone just comes up with an idea later or something. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you make it into a system, then everybody has a moment to, to really assess it. And and also because again the, the speaking part I think is because people go oh that's really cool but actually I think the equally if not more important one is the the sort of the action that's not related to fighting so it's not using so if you're again if your character you're like mm, I don't really have anything to say to the this creature we're, we're about to face or, or be able to win this this particular encounter but being able to look around the environment and go I want to try and cut the sh the chandelier. And see if that yeah. falls on them that, that sort of thing i think that's really cool because again i think people get lost in the mechanics of like well my character can do this and not mm -hmm. necessarily listen to the the world around especially with land of Eam, which is such a creative flavorful world that you want the players to get immersed in so that they use that environment and help them make their choices so i just thought that was mm -hmm. really nice to have that up with talking as well because again not many people do that it, again it, if they do it's like it's like afterthought for action where you go well i could hit the person but I could also, I guess, do this. Is this possible? And then there's more rolling, and you're like, oh, takes it out of it. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, we wanted to reflect the graphic novel series in that, like, Rickety Stitch, the Skeleton Bard, is his first option is not going to be, you know, slay the monster. It's mm -hmm. going to be how can I talk my way out of this, or you know, I, we can't take full. This is uh, this system sort of inspired. I forget exactly how, but it's like the exact mechanics of doctor who which i've never played but read it is doctor mm. who role-playing game where they kind of had phases to mm. a conflict mm. and it it because um in designing the game it was like how how can we make this work and doctor who was an influence there i don't exactly remember how but it was no, but i think i think that's actually quite interesting so I, as, as a self-confessed whovian myself the, the doctor always always tries to talk their way out of it they don't they don't have a weapon. They have the sonic yeah. screwdriver to get out of the get out of the you know. There's the sneaky sort of uh, ex machina to get out of the, the the ship at the last minute. But it's not a weapon. It's not a, a laser gun or anything like that. And the doctor normally says like, actually that's not okay. Or, or we'll we'll argue with someone if they go in with with force. So yeah, I, I totally see that. I it's been a long time since I read the Doctor Who role playing game. I think for me with the Doctor Who role playing game, I liked it up to the point where it says, "Oh well, one of you can play the Doctor." I was like, "No, <laughs> no, only the GM can play the Doctor. <laughs> That's how it works." <laughs> Not any any pleb on your yeah. group. <laughs> Isn't there a Batman game where like one person can be Batman and everyone else is like? Alfred and Robin or something. <laughs> but that's, that's such a shame because there's always someone that yeah. has the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. What are you in the Batman game? Well, I'm not Batman, but I'm his driver. I take him to lunch. That's what I do. 
I think I would actually enjoy that game. <laughs> Just the person that's, that drives around superheroes to their to their thing. Actually, yeah, you're right. If everyone isn't the superhero. And it's just like all the cool, support yeah. team that could be super fun. Yeah, exactly. It was a oh a long time ago now. In one of the earlier episodes we ran, we did a uh, Fate Accelerated, uh, mm. and I made it so that everyone was the uh, was the superhero b- bureau in London, and all the A list superheroes were actually been taken to like HR training because there'd been a big incident. And so it was only the B superheroes that were on the desk who don't go out. And then they had to go. And then there was like, um, I can't remember. They had to go do certain things to pass a certain test. And they were like, but they had rubbish powers as a result. Or what they thought was rubbish powers. But then again, that creative way of like, we stop the robbers by, I just blow smoke from my hands because that's what I do. And oh, no one can see where anyone is. It doesn't help me. (laughs) So That's super fun. So speaking of um, sort of RPGs then in general, do you have any particular favorite RPGs that you've played in or, or want to play in or you've read and gone, that would be really cool? Any any sort of thing like that? Um, hmm. Good question. I'm super into Star Wars RPGs. Played a lot. I've, I've ran a lot as a game master and I went so far as to create my own system. Oh, nice. I made my own Star Wars RPG. It's really uh, cool. <laughs> But it's only for, you know, my friends and I, um, you know, I'm not going to publish a Star Wars RPG, but uh, <laughs> just give it a different name. It's kinda, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> probably will at one point if we do like a star conflicts, <laughs> talk your way out everything. <laughs> we do a sci-fi comic. This will be the system. Mm. Um, but, uh, it's kind of like an amalgamation of D6 Star Wars and just like D20 Saga Edition. It's kind of everything, but then you know, including our own sensibilities that we've developed as we've been talking about. Um, you know, some of the abilities from Land of Eam were just pulled directly. Yeah, from like there. creative solutions, like mm-hmm. adding to the collaborative storytelling to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And then AD&D Second Edition. I have a group that's sec- separate from James that I play weekly, and um, we, for some reason, this group also wanted to play a Second Edition. I think it's just we're old and like that's what we grew up with (laughs) so we also had like this two-year second edition campaign for some reason no one i know wants to play fifth edition and so james and i have only done one session of fifth edition which might sound crazy to you would you ever be interested in doing more fifth edition or is it just something you've or is it just like you know we're happy with second edition just out of interest i'd be open to it just to experience it um Mm, right I mean, I've only ever played fifth edition myself, but I've—it's I've, always one of those things where I've looked back. I've, like I played uh, Pathfinder, the the first edition. I know second edition came out. Yeah. I a role play, uh, I ran that for for the channel as well, and I was like, "Ooh, there's a lot." And, it, and then it turns out, obviously, there's not that much more to remember. So that's why I assume mm-hmm. is that you just need to make accommodations for stuff. And right, yeah. now, now online, when you've got you know or, uh, like online dice rollers and all that sort of thing, is it you know it helps those who can't count in their head and it has. To use fingers and, and write stuff down but yeah i think i i don't know like i i i'm very grateful for dnd fifth edition because it got me into playing role-playing games i've not been playing that long myself actually i've only i've, I've said it several times on the channel but i think it'll be coming up to five years since i've started playing and then three years since i've gone you know what, this is fun but also i'd like to read all of these books uh <laughs> and read my own yeah. stories and stuff so i always I, and i think that's one thing i've always said is that i've always enjoyed reading other people's ideas and worlds and that is a different system 
to the D20 yeah. system because sometimes like it's it's interesting because I feel like the D20 system is just one of those things where it's like if I hear if, it's, if I hear it's a D20 system I assume oh it's going to be fantasy and it's going to be medieval-ish or something like that because of its connections to D&D which I know is not necessarily true but it's just so nice when when obviously looking at yours I was like oh, a D12 system oh and then I, I just <laughs> want to find out more about that you know so yeah uh some recent favorites have been playing currently monster of the week mm. uh, which is fun it's, it's basically we're just like a ragtag group of ghostbuster like people <laughs> and james and i also played ghostbusters <laughs> i was RPG. just about to say like that that i've wanted to play the ghostbusters rpg since i was a little kid like the one from the 80s yeah, yeah the one from the 80s and so we found like copies of it and played it over halloween and amazing that, like lit a fire under me to want to play more Ghostbusters RPG because I love the tone. It's a funny book. It's like a funny RPG. Well, definitely. And certainly with like Monster of the Week as well. Then there's that sort of, I know they, they, they talk about like uh, Angel or Buffy, the idea that you have a group and stuff, but, but it's all about collaborative storytelling as well. So I can only <laughs> just imagine that being actually really cool and you inventing stuff on the fly. It's not so, again, the GM helps facilitate it, but yeah. it is more about the players and their investment to it. So, oh no, good suggestions. So I guess obviously this is this is I, whilst you've got lots of experience in uh, playing in RPGs and this this is your uh, and you've dabbled in game design for different things but this is your first sort of published thing based on your own work. I was wondering like how have you found the, that experience? Like obviously taking adapting from your own work it probably is quite easy because obviously you are the you are the owners of it. You know what's going on inside your own head. But how did you find? How, how have you found the sort of the playtesting experience and creating your own RPG system? One thing that occurred to me functionally when we first started putting together the game is that maybe specifically we're, we're, in the, we're in the process of creating a giant sandbox that like filled with all kinds of quest hooks and all sorts of things. And that exercise for the game really opened doors for actual stories, like books that we want to write or stories that we want to throw, you know, rickety stitches character in or, or even new series that we're working on because fleshing out the world really made it easy to put players into it, mm -hmm. to put characters into it, locations and descriptions and uh, other things going on that I found really helpful. Kind of like with what J.R.R. Tolkien did with language. He's like, I've created these languages. Uh, they got to have some history or else they have no meaning. And so then the Lord of the Rings, like in The Hobbit, suddenly emerged and i'm seeing that as like not that i'm comparing us to tolkien but like it's the exercise yeah. of creating the place has really opened up my eyes as to new stories and stuff and i think that's been really uh, impactful in terms of uh play testing it's sort of been like a slow build since we um released the uh beta version of the game in um august it was like around gen con and um i ran like five games, I think, on Gen Con weekend, which was exhausting. <laughs> All of, of varying success. And um, after that, you know, we have a Discord channel that you should join if you're interested in playing the game to give your feedback, maybe find some other people to play. Um, we're just starting to now, I think, like get some good feedback from people at this point. Took a couple of months for people to digest all the stuff and mm -hmm. get their own groups and things going and but it's been cool to see people play the game we're also thinking towards like a kickstarter at the end of the year so mm -hmm. 
you know, it's kind of this balance of getting everything ready and then absorbing feedback and changing things. So from this experience then, from sort of like getting this experience, like, and again, like I said, like this, your own sort of histories of like uh, playing RPGs and stuff. And I appreciate when I ask this question, obviously I have to take into account of the last year, which has pretty much changed everyone's experience of role playing. Cause obviously we're all now locked in our houses and talking on, on, on online and stuff. But what would you say is like your predictions, I guess, for RPGs or role, uh, role playing games in the next five, 10 years or so? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> I think that like remote play was already beginning to emerge. I know that Ben and I, we solely remote play. I, ha I haven't been in a room playing with anybody since, well, I guess every year we used to go on trips with our buddy Amir and Darren and, and others, and we'd, we'd go uh, play yeah. D&D. But um, it's been over a year since like December, right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And even that was like for a couple of days, like mm -hmm. hanging out. But um, I think that playing remotely has already been emerging, and I think it's just going to grow in in popularity and just I think convenience yeah. because people are used to being home now and mm -hmm. the world is super uncertain mm -hmm. and, and I wonder you know. if uh, games themselves will start reflecting that in the rules somehow like streaming or just online play I don't know how it's not something that I feel comfortable designing but uh, it seems like that could be something mm. Yeah, I, I definitely like for me. I, I I only ever had really one game in person, and when I used to record one shots, I would actually go to them uh, to the people's places. I, again, I usually use a, a group of friends here, and that was more because I was like, oh, it's a chance to see friends and stuff, and oh, I've not seen right. anyone. We made a big effort for it, but now it's opened up a whole world of trying new you know, new things and and be like, hey, you're free Friday night. How about you do this? Um, you know, and having to accommodate for obviously screen time and, you know, people not wanting to to be recorded and stuff. But it's actually been such an eye opener for me who's never really played that much online uh, before this. And I think for me, the, the other big benefit, uh, I, as you sort of alluded to there, Ben, is like streaming stuff. It's now very easy to to just, you know, click on a link or something like that and share what you're doing uh, and and have people watch games that maybe don't have this the same following as some of the big ones but you can look up for you see oh someone's playing uh, you know Land of Eam someone's doing Sleepaway someone's doing these indie RPGs which are slowly becoming more and more popular because they're about connecting people together and they're about collaborative storytelling and I think that's so important right now being able to create a story right. when you're so far apart and you feel like a part of it. So yeah, I, I definitely, definitely feel that. I just wonder if, you know, D&D or another large company or, you know, an indie game will say like, well, this is the streaming version of our game, which has streamlined rules, no pun intended, <laughs> and uh, rules for audience members, like actual rules for audience members to, you know, be involved in the game. Because I know people have their own rules, like, you know, you contribute money or whatever you can change the story or something like that mm. but right. i don't know seems like an opportunity to innovate i definitely think it might even get to the point where we don't roll anything and it is just collaborative storytelling and mm. people being comfortable with with that because i am um, again from my own experience getting people to play a game with you where there, it, it, there's always that joke isn't there when you're playing the the gm you're half you're half therapist, half goblin with a voice, and you have to, have to balance all these backstories and stuff. 
and people get scared people get scared of doing that and sort of thing but i think like if you're doing that storytelling thing and everyone comes together for it uh and trying it out and i think with the safety of not being in the same room as people like oh i can i could just leave whenever i want to i mean no one does that thankfully but (laughs) i do think like there's something magical about being together online telling a story and I, sometimes you might go through sessions and not roll dice at all it is just the way you're having a conversation with someone I just think that is such a powerful thing because obviously sometimes you think well if I'm seeing a play I expect it to be perfect or, or to be written and so they must know what they're saying or or mm. if you're and I think and that's it that you know as we've all sort of discovered role-playing games it's like improv you know you're just coming up with stuff on the fly but you know what your characters feel like or you know what they want and the success of a die doesn't necessarily dictate how they feel about it or how, you know, they might do something, might not succeed, but they in there, you know, they can make the choice of whether they feel they succeeded or not. So, yeah, right. I, I hope I hope for more games that do have maybe slimmed, slimmed down rules, hopefully games with no combat, because <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know how you folks feel about it, but I hate judging combat, because I'm like, yeah, you hit him. I'm not going to play for it. <laughs> yeah, you've done it. Hooray. Yeah, I, can, <laughs> I, I've, I often find combat really boring. One thing we want to do in Landed Veeam with combat is like not have hit point bloat. So characters don't gain hit points, which mm. we call it courage. But you don't gain a level and then roll more hit points. You're just, you're basically the same courage level, like levels one through 10, unless you get a magical item that increases your courage or something like that, which is possible. But I think that's like the biggest thing that slows down combat in mm. d It's the fact that keep getting more hit points and you're able to, you know, rest and just it, you're kind of undoing the, the threat of death, like mm. throughout a, a session by being able to heal so often. Mm-hmm. And as a GM, that's frustrating because you're trying to like have this balance of like, you know, there sh- it, it should feel like danger, mm. right. I think, at least when I'm running it, you, you want to impart a, f- a feeling of danger, like character death should probably rare but um like the threat of it is interesting well you you have that with the the mechanics as well uh for, for the death mechanics so when you're reduced to zero courage uh you fall unconscious for a number of rounds but then you you know, you, you get a chance to like resist a wound because obviously you know if you're hit by something and you go down yeah it's going to have some sort of lasting impact which i thought was good but then the second time that happens uh you roll and it's a you know you i liked that there's a table which um and it talks about like you know if you roll a cer- uh, under a certain number you make one last heroic action before your character dies and yeah. i was like wow i like that like, you give that agency back to the players to do something and they are yeah. creative, rather than like <laughs> oh you just bleed out so we have a funny story about this it's the inspiration <laughs> for this go for it, why yeah. this exists. <laughs> go for it please <laughs> so we had this uh three-year campaign in high school and this was the final battle i was a gnomish illusionist I, we were like level 10 or something. I have gone through this 100,000 <laughs> times in my life. This is good. And I, my character was decapitated in like the second to last round of the fight. Oh my God. So a rule like that would have been great to be like, yeah. you're decapitated, but you know, be- <laughs> before you die, you can like run the big bad through. Mm. Um, just to like give it some weight. Cause I, I felt like, wow, I made it right to the finish line, but now I'm dead. Yeah. You know, and like, I think I had a r- ring of regeneration. It was like the only way I could be killed was decapitation. 
<laughs> Good. <laughs> After three years. But yeah, Ben is totally right. It's about like making even a character death something that is retold because mm. it is like, oh man, that amazing thing that happened. Like yeah. right at that moment, you earned it. Definitely. No, I, I really like that. I guess what would be your your main advice for anyone who wants to run a game that's in the land of Eam? Well, you can download the game for free right now <laughs> at drivethroughrpg.com. Functionally, have it Functionally, first. Functionally, yes. <laughs> but inspirationally, advice-like. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, obviously have fun with it. It's, it's not, nothing is hard and fast. It's, it's all about chasing the fun with Land of Eam. Like, what's the fun thing that happened that made everybody laugh or, or whatever? Chase that playing the game because the mechanics are designed to reward you for chasing that. And I think that if you're if you're constantly going in a circle around the conflicts in in a fun way, uh, or you know maybe you are a group that you encounter a fiend and you really do have to fight, you can mm-hmm. you you can you can still fight, but chase the fun. There's just there's so many things that can go wrong, and when everything goes wrong, that's when things get funny and, and amazing. Is is that's my perspective. And I guess this is sort of a functional answer again, but. Uh, we tried to make the game like pretty, like a low bar for entry for game masters in terms of prep. You know, there's lots of random tables. There's three adventures you can choose from. There's a a portion of the sandbox in the beta, and there's like a big hex map you can use. So like, there's a lot of GM tools to get off the ground running. Whereas you know, if you get D and D or something, if you just get the book, then you're probably just gonna have to make stuff up or buy a published adventure this is free okay this is free (laughs) (laughs) so download it whenever you can because it's pretty classic right here on drive through rpg (laughs) go now (laughs) right but there are a lot of tools and um you know you can some cool ones are there's like a dungeon generator so you've got like like obstacles and stuff like right out of the gate the sandbox, the, the free little snippet of sandbox is great because mm-hmm. it can kind of give you an idea of the tone of like what's going on. And, and, and it's easy to latch on to, to how people are talking or what they're doing or what kind of conflicts exist. And you don't have to use it whole cloth. You can just yeah, totally. take what you I, want. These are just ideas that you can riff with. Mm-hmm. And the adventures are the same. Like you can change out adventure stuff. They're, they're, they're meant to be super functional. There's not just like giant blobs of text that you have to digest and like, okay, then this happens and how do I make that happen? Yeah. It's it's not like that. It's really fast and loose and uh, you know, again, just trying to focus on chasing that fun aspect of, of RPGing mm. with, your, with your pals. For me, like obviously I, I love a good table so I like reading it all through and obviously rolling and just having a seat so for me like the dungeon uh, traps and obstacles table was quite hilarious like because I rolled it's called uh, the laughing uh, phasman or something like that where it's about someone's guarding a door and they ask what is a good password and then the party has to guess oh I'll come up with a good password and the best one wins and I was like I like that. That's that's a, that's my sort of humor, and you like um, the crossbow. Uh, the crossbow chandelier was the other one. Was the chandelier just full of cross crossbows, like looking down? And obviously, if you go under it, you'll get shot. But if you dance under it, and you won't. But again, it's like just <laughs> it, it, a little paragraph. You can just drop that in anywhere. And I was like, oh, I like that idea. You just like just have these traps just around, and then like. What could it be? I'm just having people to work out and and use go outside the box thinking. So yeah, I just I I, I like stuff like that, uh, in the sense yeah. of yeah, finding the fun in what could be typically like 
you're in a dungeon, it's dark and, and grim, but someone's asking you, what is a good password? And you're like, what kind of riddle is this? I just want to know what a good password is. And then, and then that weird back and forth, because you have that expectations of the players and then having to constantly readjust it and then finding the fun in that. And it's always second guessing. I, that's, that's definitely that's for me. I love that sort of thing. We actually have like sort of this mini game. It's sort of a mini game, but it's a random dungeon and you use a D12 and you like, you're kind of gaining a currency. So if you don't, if you're a GM, you don't have a, a dungeon prepared, but it comes up that, oh, you have to go into this dungeon. You can just uh, use this system with those tables and you're kind of gathering keys, which is this currency. And once you get five of them, you like find what you're looking for, whatever that may be in the story. Um, if you fail the roll, you just encounter one of those hazards or you might encounter a hazard and get a key or you just might find keys. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what those were for. But as you're saying, you can just like use them, just take them for whatever you want, you know. Do you have any plans for the future? Is there any other projects in the pipeline that you're happy to talk about? We've got a lot going on, actually. Of course, Land of Eam, like we're in the mm -hmm. beta, we intend to run a Kickstarter. The third Rickety Stitch book drops in April, so you can continue that series and see what happens to our favorite skeleton bard. We're also working on a couple of middle grade series as well, which I won't share too much about. It's, they're, they're gated by our Patreon, like to see the more details, but one is a, a chapter book, middle grade chapter book, a fantasy adventure, another is another graphic novel series. And then as of like the last 48 hours, we've decided to throw our hat into Zine Quest on Kickstarter. Nice. And, Amazing. Uh, <laughs> we're, going, we're going to see what uh, what we can challenge ourselves to produce to... Uh, the next like two to three weeks. In the next two to three weeks to see. Uh, but that's that's that'll be fun. Nice. Uh, and I are like addicted to creating stuff. So sometimes we, yeah. we really uh, we go too far. But um, you always need a project on. I, I feel you. On yeah, right, right. Brilliant. Well, thank you, both of you, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you uh, for the last hour or so. Um, I just wanted to finally ask, where can we find your work? And, you know, uh, are you on Twitter? Are you on, what's, what's your socials? Which is a terrible way of phrasing that sentence. I'm so sorry. But where can we find your work online? Yeah, I mean, you can find it in lots of places. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all at Rickety Stitch. Just search Rickety Stitch. Or if you are interested in Land of Eam and playing it, um, you can download it at DriveThruRPG or at our website, ricketystitch.com. And then, of course, if you are super interested in the more graphic novel series or more of the, the fiction that we're writing, you can check out some of the stuff and support us on Patreon. That's, that's, where, we, that's where we share that stuff. I recommend getting the the beta. It's got a lot of stuff in it. It's free. Um, all of it's a work in progress. And it, at the bottom of every page is a link to our Discord. So you can actually tell us like, hey, we really like this or hey, I don't understand this. And Ben and I will personally uh, answer all the questions and, and take in all the feedback. I, I thought you were going to end that sentence. We will personally end you. It's like, <laughs> okay, that's what I was like. When's, where's the sentence going? <laughs> personally come to your house and slap you in the face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, no, we actually do want criticism and feedback of that nature just to get the game as best as it can be. And then we'll we'll launch the the finishing game stuff in in uh, Kickstarter at the end of the year. Excellent. Oh, well, I, I genuinely can't wait. I honestly, I had so much fun running this for my friends who definitely found the joy in the role playing. I think I said uh, at the beginning of it, and I was like, okay, it's been an hour. You might need to go through the door to start the adventure. And they're like, <laughs> do we? 
okay, time has passed. And they're like, no. <laughs> but it was that joyous, like railroading, but going, it's like, you know, picking up the kittens and putting them into another basket and then getting them out of the basket. Um, which I love as that, as that kind of players that they enjoyed going, oh, I guess we can talk for another five minutes. And then me going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm now <laughs> and cause that, again because i think what i love about uh the the, the quick start adventures and stuff is that they were so easy to get into and to, so easy to just try out and there was no pressure to get it right and no pressure to it and then but like yeah i'll just skip out these bits like and i did that whole sort of whole thing where i was well i'll just skip past that bit of my notes and they're like oh, what did we miss and i'm like mm -hmm. you know i can't, <laughs> can't tell you and they're like no <laughs> well i can't wait to hear that Oh, well, I will send you a link. But well, thank you both so, so much uh, for chatting with me. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank we you. Appreciate it. I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question or have a suggestion for an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know via our email address. That's whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.